Hello, and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist, the blog cast. This is episode 99, and I'm Emily, and I'm blog casting for you today. Uh, this is, I'm so, like, I'm one away from 100, and I've already written the, the blog for the blog cast on the 100, so if you are a reader of the blog, you already know what episode 100 is. Not that it's anything particularly exciting, like, uh, I just want to warn you, it's just going to be a blog cast. Like, some people, uh, I'll mention this in the blog, but, you know, I've heard some pretty spectacular 100 episodes, <laughs> uh, celebrations, um, and that's not the case, so, um, it's not really a big deal. <laughs> Numbers can just sometimes be exciting. Anyway, this is 99. And um, today's actually blog it took a long time to write or collect. And it's really long. So here it is. This is called A Great Idea for a Musical. Or What is Art? And Who Gets to Decide? comment on my art as service post began this way. I disagree with your theories about what is art and perhaps even what is service with art. I think the thing about art is that it has different meanings for different people. And it asked, who gets to determine what is art and what is not? What is service and what is not? Which are good questions even if it implies that it should definitely not be me who gets to determine such a thing. The answer to these questions is that no one is determining anything. There is no line around art or service, and just because I, a person on the internet, said so, does not make it so. Unfortunately, I have not yet developed such an enviable superpower. In the absence of strong boundaries in the world, I attempted to make some distinction between entertainment and art, not because I want to be mean to entertainers, but because I'm weary of watching artists suffer over the confusion. Since no one makes a distinction, the market also makes no distinction, and capitalism just chews up art and entertainment and service all in one messy mouthful. Of course art means different things to different people, but without a common distinction, Artists suffer and diminish while corporate execs thrive. Without a line drawn, commercial art thrives while more esoteric art starves, which is not to say that commercial theater, for example, sucks. Some of it is very entertaining and artfully done. Just because I don't think something is art doesn't mean I think it's bad or badly done or unprofessional or that I don't want to see it. I love being entertained as much as anyone. Art does not mean good. Entertainment does not mean bad. Entertainment can be great. Art can be terrible. Drawing a line between the two does not mean drawing a line between good and bad. It just means, for me, that we use different metrics for success in those two approaches. And listen, debate about this stuff has raged for centuries over wine, beer, cocktails, coffees, and college cafeterias. So I get that the what is art question can be controversial. However, I'm very curious about why everything wants to be art. 
Why should we need SpongeBob SquarePants the musical to be art? Why are we not satisfied to simply have it be an entertaining piece of theater? If you're making tons of money, entertaining people, having a great time, I don't really understand why being in entertainment isn't enough. I have as much admiration for great entertainers as I do for artists. They're just different flavors. One is strawberry ice cream, the other is coffee gelato. Both delicious. But I wouldn't want one to be the other. Part of the problem, I think, is the word art. There are problematically two definitions. Etymologically speaking, art began as a way to say skill. The Greek word for art basically means craft or skill. Commedia dell'arte was a popular entertainment of skill. They were skilled comedians. If someone used their art, their arte, they used their skills. Round about the 19th century, this other sense of art began to evolve. The sense of an artist as a person creating new and challenging work, as a sort of romantic expression of self and the universe and such. Art became an expression of something, a creation, an invention, where once had been a blank page, stage, or space. When I talk about art and artists, this is the sort of stuff I mean. I mean people who take what they are given to create something that challenges the status quo, that makes important inquiries into the human condition, that expresses something unique and untold where once there had been nothing. The other form of art, the one that is skill and practice and rigor and craft and form, is, of course, incredibly important. But I think of the person who crafts that as more of an artisan than artist. Our American culture is profoundly confused by all of these words. Take, for example, the way advertising and marketing have co-opted the word artisanal to now be entirely meaningless. What once meant something crafted by hand, by a skilled practitioner, with care and attention, is now readily applied to mass-produced food products. You could get an artisanal bagel at Dunkin' Donuts not long ago. I don't know what that means. So what I'm trying to do in making distinctions is to point to the Dunkin' Donutifying of art. That by making everything art, then nothing is art, and words lose meaning, and poof, there is no funding for the expressive artist anymore. It might help to keep these strands of art in mind, the art of skill and the art of expression slash creation. Perhaps we need new words entirely, and the art that means skill, as in Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, as in foam art in coffees, as in balloon art, and so on, could be called one thing. And the art that means invention and creation, as in what we hang in art museums and fund for the public good, that could have another name. Having it all be the same thing is what prevents people with no experience of the arts from understanding why in the world we should support it, donate to it, give it public funding. They think, I wouldn't pay my barista extra for putting a swan on top of my coffee. I mean, maybe I'd tip her a dollar or something, but why should my taxes support the arts if anything could be art? After all, I just spent over $1,000 to take my family to see that show on Broadway. I did my bit. See also my post on We Support the Arts. Buying tickets for Broadway shows is not support. Anyway, I tend to think of entertainers as being particularly incredible artisans. 
The Broadway chorus boy may not be an artist in my definition, but his skill at doing complex jumps and turns is remarkable. He is an artist in the same sense that the barista who has spent decades perfecting the perfect foam swan is also an artist. It's arte. A chorus boy is an entertainer with incredible arte. And if an artist, say a choreographer, created a show that required a chorus of such artisans, they would be participating in the manifestation of that artistic experience. Likewise, if the artist, the choreographer, required a chorus of swan-making baristas, they too would be part of the manifestation of that artwork. And I suppose this is where the service component comes in. So let's back this up. Let's say this artist, this choreographer, wants to make a dance featuring a chorus of Broadway dancers and a flock of skilled baristas for his piece. He intends to make a piece of art. Why he wants to do it is what I was trying to point to in my art as service blog. He could want to simply get an idea in his head out in the world. He could want to see his thoughts reflected on stage. He could want a good review in the New York Times so his father will finally love him. And or he could want to be of service to the audience in some way, to change the way they see the world, to shift some dynamic in the world, to simply be a voice for the unheard baristas of the world. That's what I mean by service. What's tricky, I think, especially for performers in terms of understanding this, is that performers are often really in service to everything they do. A singer is in service to the song. An actor is in service to the play. A dancer is in service to the dance. They are artisans in service to the art. So, of course, this notion of there being art without a service component is actually baffling to a performer. They are in constant service. And I expect it doesn't help a performer to make distinctions between art and entertainment. In fact, it could be a hindrance. I remember once helping one of my actor friends run her lines for a terrible film. I mean, the dialogue was appalling, and absolutely nothing of interest happened in it. I was deeply impressed by how much respect and attention my friend gave this wretched dialogue. It's part of how I came to realize that I didn't have it in me to really chase after an acting career. I loved love to perform, but I didn't have the capacity to ignore terrible content. I could not put myself in service to anything or anyone that I did not believe in 100%. This is kind of a big liability for a performer. For me, because I am creative in a number of different ways, I will often make distinctions between the part of art I'm practicing. When I'm creating something from scratch, beginning from a blank page, blank canvas, blank stage, I am a generative artist. When I am performing something someone else created, I am an interpretive artisan. The two impulses feel very different for me, and there are times when I can only manage one and not the other. After the 2016 elections, for example, I had no capacity for creating anything new and could really only sing other people's songs. Sometimes there is a blurriness, sure. If I invent a whole new way of performing a song, that feels like I'm blurring the lines between generating and interpreting, but still, I tend to make a distinction. Fundamentally, 
I am talking about that blank page, about how a piece begins. That is where I'm hoping to make the distinction between art and entertainment especially clear. That is, if a piece begins in a corporate boardroom, it is very likely not art. If, say, at Microsoft's headquarters, a bunch of execs sit around and say, hey, what if we got in on this Broadway market? I've been thinking Clippy the Musical would really make us a lot of money and give us some ironic legitimacy. The subsequent Clippy the Musical will not be art. Not even if they hire Tony Kushner to write the book, Bjork to write the music, and Laurie Anderson to write the lyrics. Not even if they get Taylor Mack to direct it. Not that I'd begrudge any of those artists making a little bit of corporate money, but Clippy the Musical would still be a corporate property cashing in on a possibly lucrative market. Now, Clippy the Musical may sound silly, but that is essentially how 9 out of 10 musicals are born. SpongeBob SquarePants is owned by Nickelodeon, which is owned by Viacom. Viacom is the real winner here. Most Broadway musicals don't come from a writer or composer sitting in a room struck by inspiration. Most musicals begin at the corporate level. Whoever it is that owns the rights to Pretty Woman hired an agent to hire them a team of writers and a director. And they all got paid to give us Pretty Woman, the musical. Lord help us. This is a real thing. There are those who will find this corporate exercise entertaining, and I do not begrudge any writer, dancer, actor, or singer the opportunity to make a bit of money for a change. I'm not saying it shouldn't exist or that we shouldn't enjoy it. Clippy the musical might be delightful with the right people making it. Let's just not call it art, okay? That's all I'm asking. But of course, the choice is up to you. You can call it whatever you want. I don't get to decide anything more than anyone else does. But I'm hoping that being a little more circumspect about what we call art might lead to the culture beginning to value work outside of the corporate purview a little bit more. About the only thing art, as I define it, has going for it, <clears throat> is a kind of romanticism and a hint of respectability. I'd love to see the people who create something from nothing in their rooms or studios or wherever. Those who get inspiration from the world or the gods or whatever and not the corporate paycheck get just a little something for their trouble. Yeah, so this is what happens when uh, someone leaves a comment on my blog that gets me worked up. <laughs> oh, boy. <clears throat> there were some animated dinners around this topic, let me tell you. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that this this is a post. It's very funny because I was like, oh, hellfire. Like, nobody cares about this except for me, uh, like, one, like, the person I had all those dinners with, and uh, they, maybe, maybe the person who wrote the comment, but, but maybe even not. Maybe, maybe, anyway. Um, <laughs> and it got like so few views, etc. But then I had a sweet friend, a good friend of mine, uh, was like, uh, was inspired to write me a really sweet message after reading it on tw Twitter. So y you just don't know. You just don't know. You just don't know. I don't know anyway, what, what, what resonates with people. So <clears throat> there you go. 
Um, and I and I guess I really do have it in for SpongeBob SquarePants the musical. I, I mean, at this point, I feel like I should see it, but I I don't I feel bad like hate watching a live performance. That doesn't seem right to me somehow. But I'm certainly not spending any money. If I could get a free ticket, I would go just to be like I, I'm I I, I need uh, yeah <laughs> anyway. <sighs> La di da. <clears throat> so. Uh, I would like to uh, put a, a, a song here. <laughs> so the song is going to be another of the lullabies. I'm, I'm kind of going through the lullabies I recorded before and uh, up, upgrading them a little bit to higher sound quality. Um, this one is also a Simon Sisters Sing for Children uh, project. Um, it is Winkin' and Blinkin' and Nod. And uh, I don't think there's much else I need to tell you about it, aside from <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, this song maybe is actually appropriate for this post. Because I was like, I don't know if it's really like the right thing. And then I was like, you know, what's the difference between, say, Winkin' and Blinkin' and Nod, who were invented by a poet, and, say, Snap, Crackle, and Pop? Three guys who were invented for advertising like and that's the, it's like it's that's the difference right is that that's for advertising that's not art and these three characters who are wink and blink and a nod they they are, were art at one point anyway maybe it's a stretch it's probably a stretch anyway enjoy wink and blink and a nod and sleep well Sailed off in a wooden shoe Sailed on a river of crystal light Into a sea of dew Now where are you going and what do you wish? The old moon asked the three We've come to fish for the herring fish That live in the beautiful sea Nets of silver and gold have we Said Winkin' and Blinkin' and Nod. The old moon laughed and he sang a song As they rocked in the wooden shoe And the wind that sped them all night long Ruffled the waves of dew Now little stars were the herring fish That lived in a beautiful sea now cast your nets wherever you wish, never afeard are we. So sang the stars to the fishermen three, winking and blinking and All night long their nets they threw for the stars and the twinkling foam. Then down from the skies came the wooden shoe, Bringing the fishermen home. Twas all so pretty a sight, it seemed as if it could not be. And some folks thought was a dream they dreamed of sailing the beautiful sea. But I shall name you the fishermen three. Winking and blinking and Yeah. 
was a little hand And the wooden shoe that sailed the skies Is a wee one's trundle bed Now close your eyes while mother sings Of the beautiful sights that be And you shall see such wonderful things As you rock in the misty sea As the old moon rocks the fishermen three